Hey, sexy. This is Pleasant Gaiman, rock and roll witch and culture maven. You're listening to Pantheon Podcasts. Wow. Welcome to Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party, a Pantheon podcast. Music, culture, conversation, and good old-fashioned rock and roll. So now, I give you Miss Pamela and her pajama party. Hello, dolls. You have arrived at Miss Pamela's pajama party. This is where I talk to all kinds of people I really love and enjoy and all kinds of interesting characters and just tell you more and more things about myself. And you might know that I am considered the world's most famous groupie. And you know, that has minuses and pluses in it. Um, A groupie is really just another word for love for me because it's about girls, some guys too, of course, who love musicians and they just want to be around them, want to see what, where that amazing music comes from. You know, they want to be a part of it. So that's what a groupie is, that's all. And you know, I spent time with various amazing rock stars, so that's why people care about me. And I've written several books. Uh, I'm with the band, was a big smash rooney And then it, there's a follow-up to that. Anyway, I have five books. Right now I'm working on two more books. I also do rock and roll tours of Hollywood where I did all these wild things with all these wild people. So, and also I have a column at pleasekillme.com. I just did my 13th one. So you can find anything out you, you want to know about me at pameladebar.com. And um, I'm very proud to be part of the Pantheon podcast family. We have tons and tons of podcasts musically oriented. And, you know, there. please listen to all of our podcasts and tell your pals to listen to us. It's very meaningful, okay? if you tell your friends, because then they'll get to hear all the wonderful podcasts at Pantheon Podcasts. (laughs) My bosses. Um, Today's show is really, really special to me because the last 20 years, I have been teaching, I really call it allowing people to write, because I'm not really a teacher. I just sit in a room, give girls prompts, they write about their lives, and then their lives change. I don't know how it works that way, but it does. So I've been looking forward to this podcast because I'm, I have several of my dolls, I call them my dolls, of course, several dolls coming here tonight to read some of the pieces they've written in class. So that's what you're going to hear tonight. And you're going to hear about how they feel about workshops and, you know, all that. And I do them all around the country and Toronto and London. So that's what this today's podcast is about. And it's about to start right now. Tall and she grew up right with the Indiana boy. 
dolls. Boy, what a thrilling event this is for me tonight. I have been wanting to get my dolls to read their pieces uh, from my writing workshop in L.A. for many, many years. And now I have my own podcast so I can do it. (laughs) (laughs) My girls are going to say a little bit about themselves and then read their piece. And if anyone, of course, my dolls want to comment, there's always comments and chit-chat afterwards. I have nine of my L.A. dolls here tonight. Most of them, actually, are here tonight, which is such a thrill. We, we have class here every Sunday afternoon at, uh, at 3 p.m. That's what we're doing these days. I've been doing it in L.A. for 20 years. Wow. Isn't that something? Wow. Yeah, and I teach all over the place, too. So we're going to start out with Linda Leather. Yay! Linda Leather. Tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Linda Leather, and I've been coming to Pamela's class for almost five years now. Yay! Yay! uh, Let's see, I come from Boston, and my era is early punk, early punk rock, late 70s and early 80s. Um, I've lived in L.A. for eight years now, almost eight years and I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> and we are too, honey. Woo, woo, woo. Tonight I'm going to read Memorable Holiday, about a memorable holiday. <laughs> <laughs> Easter 1966. My family always spent holidays and vacations with other families with kids to buffer us from having to deal with each other. <laughs> this Easter we spent with another family at their summer house on Cape Cod. They had four kids, a girl my age, another boy, a boy my brother's age, and a bratty little boy, much younger. He must have been an accident. (laughs) (laughs) The other family also brought their dog, a Weimaraner (laughs) named Misty. The night before Easter, I rounded up the kids to put on a little show for the grown-ups where we were all gerbils, and I'd I'd just gotten my first gerbil, (laughs) singing and dancing gerbils. And then it was up to bed. The Easter bunny would be visiting that night. All night, I could hear sounds of things dropping all night long. I wonder what it was. Come morning, instead of a magical tableau of hidden eggs, we were all greeted by puddles of dog vomit (laughs) everywhere we looked. Misty, the dog, had found every single egg and eaten them all, then got violently sick all over the house. I remember a photo my mom took of all of us kids lined up showing our empty baskets (laughs) and looking severely disappointed. The dog was in disgrace, and ever since, I've had a bad feeling about Weimaraners. These pieces that we do in class are, I give them only 12 minutes to write these pieces. And, you know, amazing, amazing stuff comes out. It's mainly memoir related. So as we go along here, we're, you're going to hear chunks of life from everybody. And so how did you guys feel that morning? I mean, was it a real bummer or was it funny? Oh, at first it was a real bummer. <laughs> no chocolate. Oh. <laughs> a disgusting bummer. Oh. But after after a short time, we were all laughing and <laughs> saying, "Oh, well, that's what those sounds were all night." Oh God. Well, it's it certainly was... a memorable Easter. Yeah. yeah. How yeah. old were you again? Um, eleven. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and you still.
still believed in the Easter Bunny, Linda? No, but I believe in <laughs> You believe in me? Yes. <laughs> I believe in chocolate. Yeah. I believe in chocolate. chocolate. That's right. <laughs> and it was probably, I think it was the last one ever we got an egg hunt, so that Aww. was very sad. Aww. The last Aww. egg hunt. And, and, and the dog lived, though, right? Yeah. Oh, oh, the good. dog lived. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Okay. <laughs> okay, um, let's do you, Paula. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself when you get up there to okay. the mic. Uh, my name is Paula Cantu, and um, I have been coming to Pamela's writing class for three years. Really? Almost three years. Yeah, <laughs> since 2017. Yeah. Wow. yeah. I know. Yeah. And um, what I love, what I love about Pamela's writing class is that we get to hang out every Sunday. It almost feels like uh, therapy. And a lot groupie of therapy, groupy therapy. And a lot of the writings that I've done in class, I've been able to actually uh, put towards my academics and be able to apply much of my free form thought from what I think here about various subjects like decolonization and such so um but this is not about colonizers no um this is actually a prompt that where you asked us to write about loss okay and i wrote about the loss of my innocence and i wrote a letter to my six-year-old self paula june so dear six-year-old paula june i have led i have led a rather unremarkable life that is until now I just started making a noise in this world at the ripe old age of 50 years old. Don't worry, though. It wasn't your fault. Little six-year-old Paula June, by the way of that, you were just born faulted from a bringing into a dysfunctional family ripe with intergenerational trauma, trauma beginning with matriarchal lineage compounded with the abuse exacted by your father. People who are supposed to love and protect you ended up failing you. The people who are supposed to keep you out of harm's way are the people who perpetrated maltreatment throughout your childhood. You helmed towards failure, your future shaped by these dreadful events, and you almost never had a chance. Right here, right now, at this moment, I wholly choose to protect you, six-year-old Paula, and to stand up for us, finally. So here we are today, in the year 2019, this was last year, at 50 years old, and now we're making decisions based on self-care and worth. We're not formulating trauma-informed outcomes founded on the damage we experienced as a child and well into our adulthood. The dysfunction of our upbringing tornadoes through all of our relationships. Our grief delineates. It ebbs and flows in self-medication throughout the 90s and into 2004. Our sour, our sorrow transcends time and space permeating each adult moment plied with plates full of guilt shame feelings of abandonment we swallow down invariably grief and trauma are thieves of time never allowing us to be fully present and sanctioned in the moment we found ourselves spiritually emotionally and financially bankrupt we tried to fill the void with people places and things because we thought the nouns would make us happy and they didn't on the contrary these things prepared for the worst we tried to fix people to the extent of breaking us. I'm so sorry that you learned at the delicate age of six years old that you are not worth keeping safe, that you are a burden, that you have nothing to cry about, that you are a liar, that you are only useful to be phys physically objectified, and that you don't matter. Fortunately, that doesn't fly nowadays, and I'm finally here to protect you, love you, and keep you safe. Yes. 
I love you, six-year-old Paula, and I love you, well, 51-year-old <laughs> Paula. Always and forever, you're a ride or die for life. Love, Paula. Oh, Paula. Oh, Paula. I love hearing these again. Yeah. I mean, these, you know, every week we hear each other write three different pieces, you know. And over the years, I mean, they accumulate, right? And plus you, the homework. Yeah, plus homework, too. You guys could all write a book with what you've done in class here. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely. amazing. And it's several so books now. Yeah, it is several <laughs> books. And I'm thrilled to hear them again. I love the way you use the word tornadoing. Mm. That was incredible. Yeah. Wow. Thank you, Paula. Thank, Thank you, Paula. Anybody you. want to say anything else to Paula about that <laughs> incredibly you, deep piece? It takes an incredible amount of uh, very honest self-reflection to be able to look at all of the shit that you went through and still like love yourself across all of that and like yes. reach back to that six-year-old that you were and be like, I got you across this like mountain of bullshit. Oh, and then to trust us and to trust us yes that's yeah. very that's right? valuable yeah. yeah that's another thing about the safety here mm -hmm. yeah. it's a real safe place very important and that yeah. is Pamela <laughs> yeah. you know, that's that's what well you, you create do. that you yeah. create that yeah. I don't know how I create that because you don't judge uh, yeah. you, you do not judge yeah and listen yeah, yeah, yeah I, I really listen. That's you're what the best listener. You are. You listen to everything. It's but amazing. I love it. It's like getting a peek into your psyches, all of you, all every week. It's thrilling to me. Aww. It is the best thing I've ever done. Is to have. Thank a you. Yeah, it totally oh, is. Okay, Allison. Wow. Me. Yes, we're going in a, like oh, we yeah. always do around. Got the it. Okay. Around the circles. <laughs> I'm next. <laughs> okay, um, this was from a prompt Pamela gave us. What called, tell us about you, um, Allison. Oh, first about oh, me. Yes, yes. My name is Allison McLeod. Um, I am I, an English professor at Pierce College. I'm a singer-songwriter. I have a kid, and I'm a member of this awesome group. And uh, I have a wonderful husband, through who, which I met Pamela, yes. um, who's working on a movie with Michael. My ex-husband. Yes, and hopefully you will all get to life. see it very, very soon. Yes, yes. fantastic. I've seen it. <laughs> yes. I made it. It is really good. It's almost too good. Yes. Don't forget Marvin. Oh, yeah, and, and uh, my ex-husband, I, I found out I have so many, I, I've probably been in a room with all of these women before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Terry and I, yeah. um, Marvin Etzioni from Lone Justice, with, uh -huh. my ex-husband, father of my child. And, um, he and I put a show on last year. And then I didn't realize it was her until I wrote about Marvin. And <laughs> yes, or she was a, was a, that was a pretty wild night. Yeah. People realize that they have friends in common, yeah. that they know each other's yeah. brothers. It's it a very so small, the groupy world, let me tell you. Yeah, it in is Los amazing. Angeles, it is like. One degree of separation. <laughs> One world, oh, baby. <laughs> One love. And what are you reading tonight? I'm reading. I didn't want to do it, but I had to. Oh, oh yes, love that. I didn't think I could do it. I'd been scared for too long. I felt sick to my stomach. My heart was beating fast. My adrenaline was surging and I felt in danger of fainting. That could happen. I looked for something to lean on. Breathe in. One, two, three, four, five. 
Breathe out. One, two, three, four, five. Repeat. Sound came to me as if a vast as if through a vast echoing wide tunnel. Every sound was so loud it hurt my teeth. Fluorescent lies painted the lives of a shocking opposition of color that are not found in nature. My hands were shaking, making it hard to find and put on the sunglasses I had been wearing for day and night for months. Count backwards in threes from 100. 97, 94, 91, 88, 85. My legs felt almost paralyzed, like in the dreams I have when I would try to run from danger but my legs wouldn't obey my terrified mind. I walked like a Buddhist monk, noticing every movement of my foot, counting steps. One step, one step, one step, one step. I knew logically that no one could, knew what was happening, that they couldn't tell. I was in awe of them, and I wish I could cope like them, but I didn't have the energy to be jealous. I just hope they would be there to be. I just hope they would be there to pick me up when I fell. I snapped the rubber band around my wrist that I wore to bring me back to the present. Snap, snap, snap. Breathe, breathe, breathe. Count, count, count. When I reached the cashier, I was afraid of letting go of the grocery cart that had been propping me up. I seemed to be pulling it off. I seemed to be faking it okay. But I'd do better tomorrow. Tomorrow, I'd get more than 15 items. It's so great to hear these again. That was yeah. so, so many people obviously have been through that, right? And that was so, panic. Yeah. yeah it, How it was long so well it takes. described. Yeah. Yeah. Being afraid to go out. Moment even. You're in moment. like a, a telescope just, of time, and it's like it, it you are focused on that moment. It feels like forever, and it's shit. like all you've done is like move a few feet far. Yeah. I mean, it's a grocery store. Yeah, it sounds like you're about to meet all four Beatles or something. Yeah. <laughs> 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 But I have to say, can I do a little side? Yeah, of course. Of course. I once met David Bowie. Mm. I was in a shop oh, on La Brea Avenue, and I was so in involved with what I was trying to buy. <laughs> he reached over my shoulder and I looked around and it was David Bowie. Oh, oh. And I couldn't say a word. Oh, and he said, carry on. Excuse me. <laughs> and you said, I physically can't. And he said, I cannot. One breath, two breath, three breath. Of, of my, you know, my, my son lives here with the me, cackling and he party. often says, "Yeah, a bunch of cackling hens." <laughs> he, he has I to wear earplugs. <laughs> you know when it's fun when you're cackling. I mean, the cackling yes, part yes. gets it's better to be than just when we're fun. crying. Yes, no. there, there's crying too. There's. Mm. I love when there's crying. I know. <laughs> it's happening. Okay, Terry. Oh dear. Terry's okay. gonna read. 
First, tell us about you, though. Okay. Um, hi, I'm Terry Moreland Henderson. I always use Moreland as a middle name because it was my uh, former maiden name, and I love that name. And I want to drop the Henderson sometime when I publish books <laughs> at some point in my life. Okay. Uh, I was born in uh, southeastern Ohio in what is known as Appalachia, coal country. And I didn't even realize that until I'd gone on to Oberlin College on academic scholarships. Actually, I didn't even realize that then until about, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago when people first started talking about Appalachia as that part instead of that far south part. And you were like, oh, yeah, we didn't have a bathroom. Yeah, we didn't have any of that stuff, you know. (laughs) And so I had had kept all of that inside of me for so long because I've gone the route of, like, you know, the groupie route and being with Dallas Taylor and Dennis Wilson and my husband's a bass player and Tim Henderson, all this different stuff. But And I also taught high school English for many years. And so it's been a crazy mixed-up world. But, yeah, so that's me. And how long have you been coming to class, Oh, five years same as a little bit after Linda I think maybe a couple months after you yeah Yeah, okay yeah so anyway um, I can't remember the prompt exactly I think it was Mm. something special we had had like a very special item of ours from our past or something like that treasured item treasured item (laughs) okay yeah so as I began to share my stories with everyone I felt light as though a huge weight had been lifted off of me Much as I felt when I drowned and the light beckoned me, and I felt weightless and free as I found my voice in Pamela's classes to speak out about the privation and poverty. No running water, no heat, few clothes, little food. What a strange way for a baby boomer to grow up, more fitting really of someone born into the Great Depression, not someone of my golden age, a supposed excess. A few highlights about those days include the time my mother fell down the basement steps while carrying the chamber, piss pot to empty it of the previous nice use just one of her daily chores the physical pain of falling and the humiliation of being covered in another's excrement must have been difficult i guess we were her kids though so anyway she endured and triumphed i also remember how fast she ran when one of the mad pigs chased her up the tree in the front yard and i remember how she cried a few years before she died from leukemia when she was 88 and I was 45. She, a large woman, shrinking to 48 pounds when she died at that age, while showing me the lean jean, Lee jeans that my brother had been wearing when he got killed. It was by chance, really, that I even saw those jeans since I had not known that they even existed, nor did anyone else know that she had those items of his secreted away all those years. She was giving me the few outfits she'd saved from my childhood, a plaid bathing suit with a little skirt from when I was seven, Mm. a red corduroy Mickey Mouse jacket circa 1956, and a pair of blue bell-bottoms to cover a matching bathing suit from the late 60s. She had kept all of those memories locked away Mm. in a trunk that in all my years of active snooping, and there were many, I had never (laughs) seen. He had died some 43 years earlier, two days after Christmas, when he was home on leave from the Korean War, with his brother and best friend, who had also been in Korea, driving the car that he was killed in. I watched her as she caressed his brand-new Christmas jeans that he'd been wearing when that 49 Plymouth skidded on ice to hit an oncoming car and break his neck. They were still new, really, except for a few puncture holes, probably from the impact of the torn metal. They had no blood stains, like the rust-colored white handkerchief that must have been in his pocket and that she kept in a glass box with an etched rose on top, a box that she kept next to her bed. She caressed those jeans as if she were touching her son one last time. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm thinking of Kobe and his kids now, too, sorry. 
Her silent tears were impenetrable. All those years later, how could she live with that open wound and the sorrow? And I wanted those genes as my legacy to capture the feeling that I always had of being the caretaker, the griot of her stories, to be trusted with her memories of him, to somehow take his place to help the sorrow to recede. Um, okay, I think, what did I, oh, yeah. So that then is my inheritance. I am forever my brother's keepers, both of them. Yeah. Wow, that's, oh, that is such a, Amazing piece. It I really didn't think is. I would cry. I know. <laughs> there like, is so much in there. Mm. Your, your mom still had. And no one the, knew she had. I that mean, but, stuff. but the rose with the bloody handkerchief. My God, well, that it, is. It looked like rust, so you never yeah. knew. But yeah. you knew when. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yes. Oh, it's my that favorite was, thing you've ever written. Well, I, I remember you. the first yeah. time you read it. We were all in tears. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it, yeah. it just and seems. Tears again. Uh, <laughs> it's just the. The thing of Kobe last Sunday, I know it's like kind of weird that I would feel so strongly, but he was just so important in my life and my kids' lives that when Chloe came in to tell me about it, we didn't know his daughter had been killed yet. But then when that happened, it was mm -hmm. like I go back to my mom and go, how does, how does his wife... How do people get through it? How yeah. do people how live with this, you know? And, it's just, and it just, yeah. the, that's yeah, in that's, your... That's, I don't think it's that strange that it hit you that way. Uh, I was Honestly, just... you know, when, when Tom Petty died, yeah. I was devastated yeah. more than I and thought I had a right yeah. to be. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, they mean so much to us, these people. I, when Prince died, I just, I didn't yeah. think I could handle it, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I'm... You, you know my biggest worry is Dylan is getting yeah, very is getting so old. I can't talk about it. I know. Yeah. I I mean I, I, I don't know what I'll do. Well, I think it's Kobe. Kobe. Of course, his mom lived to be a hundred, wow. right? <laughs> so, but so I guess it's a part of us, going. you know. Yeah, it is yeah. a deep, deep part of us. These people Bob that and Paul are I both think about it, the same age, and I'm very yeah. upset. Paul is very healthy. Paul he McCartney looks like he's going to live forever. Okay. I think of Kobe and, and Dylan as being on that plane where they're just way above everybody else in their field. Yes, yeah. So and very alone. Yes, and you can't believe you can't believe they're gone. I know. Like, oh my God. Well, anyway, isn't thank it you. That amazing was that Kobe's helicopter pilot was reaching for the sky. Yeah, <laughs> what? Well, he was reaching for the sky. You know what was dangerous? He and his wife that, had a pact that they would never fly yeah, in a that's helicopter a, together. Oh, yeah. really? Wow. wow. But any so flying is dangerous. Yeah. Oh, oh, anyway, yeah. sorry to bring that up, but I, I, even though I didn't know that brother, it was always like he was there. Oh, of course. But that, my mother never you, talked about it. That soul of your brother. Well, you never, never she didn't. Him? No, I, he was killed two years ago. Oh. That's why I was born. The, yes, the negative <laughs> space of the, what he used to take up. It was only two the years. Loss, and in the life of your the family. The loss was felt yeah. your whole life. Yeah, yeah. and it was yeah. kind of like a black hole. And oh, all yeah. my other brothers yeah. and well, you sisters. you have written about that so a lot. much. So this now, is why me, I love her, because yeah, she has allowed me to say I was going to say, say tell things. me how that feels to be able oh my God, to express Pamela, all this. You, don't, you cannot even imagine. I tried, okay, I retired in, what, six years ago? And I went to that other workshop, I won't say names, but I went to a workshop <laughs> and I felt like I shared it the, for the first time and I felt like people didn't listen and I felt shamed, you know? Oh, I felt, oh, so really? then I found you through Margaret, I think, and yeah, oh. and then um, I came and then I started 
And it's just, just such a relief to be able to tell people I was poor. I mean, I went, I was like up in academia, you know, it's like, yeah, not, yeah. yeah, I was like Another publishing. World, Those right? are the articles I did publish in my life were uh -huh. things about that. And it just was like, oh, I can fool everybody. You know, it's like I was culture, you know, cultural shock, you know, being that white hillbilly kid, but also, you know, being highly educated and all that yeah. other stuff. Yeah. It just has been difficult, but, but thank you. I mean that with all my heart. Quick oh, sidebar. I love you very much. Thank you. Mm. Carrie mentioned Margaret. Margaret is not here because she moved to Texas. But Darn Margaret it. is a hell of a woman. And Margaret, we if you're love listening, you. we, we love, love you so much, Margaret. Come back. All of our love. Thank you for ever you, having been a part of this and for the, bringing the women, Carrie. Yeah. The women in workshop get very tight. Yes, we I mean, love. best friends taking, you know, mushrooms together tight. Okay. What? What? Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Who did that? Who did that? In 2016 and also last year. Well, that sounds like it'd be a lot of women doing it. We should do that sometimes. Okay, okay. And also hanging out in graveyards at a death. Nicole. That was fun. At the Hollywood death. Nicole's going to read. Oh, my. Okay. Okay. Nicole has been coming to workshop for 12 years, I think. Almost, almost uh, 12, yeah. yeah. Um, hi, I'm Nicole James, and um, I have been coming to class since 2008, um, which is nearly 12 years. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I have been coming as long as uh, Brandy and Bambi, who you will meet mm -hmm. shortly, both uh, kicks in the pants. And I can't wait for you to hear from them. But um, the three of us have been coming since 2008. And wow. I was very new to Los Angeles. I had just moved within a month or two. Um, when I started coming to this class and I basically walked into my first class, walked out and was forever changed. And, um, yep. Pamela's now, she's basically yeah. my dad. <laughs> um, I am very close with my mom, yeah, but I don't have a dad. A yes. yes. I have a wonderful oh. mother, but I do not have a father figure. I have a mom and a Pamela and I'm extremely happy with those parents. Um, so uh, this is an assignment that um, Pamela earlier today asked if I would read one of my poems because sometimes I just I get a little artistic itch and I write a poem yeah. for class. Um, In and... 12 minutes, by the way. Okay. <laughs> this, uh, this one was a homework assignment, so it was probably like 15 minutes. Oh! But uh, <laughs> this, was, uh, this was one that Pamela specifically asked me to read because she loves it so much. This was from... January of 2016, and the assignment was to write about what David Bowie means to us shortly after he had died. Oh, yeah, Whoo! Mm, yes, yeah. it was right, a, <laughs> right, right after before, the right after. That's, okay. a, that's a story for another okay. time that Brandy and uh, Sarah Stardust over here and I yep. may have experienced. Um, so, uh, yeah, this was the, the homework prompt was to write about what David Bowie meant to us, and I wrote a poem because I, I'm getting very emotional right now. It's January again. It's um, right around the uh, 4th, I guess, God, anniversary of his passing, and God, is just impossible to believe yeah. I love him so much. So this was poem for David Bowie. You were always like the cosmos. You were ever like a stone. You were all the time and endless. You were velvet, flame, and bone. You were violet nights of mystery, the electric blue of day. And not once since first I love you did I think you might not stay. You were bigger than your body, you were paler than the moon. You were 90 kinds of discord all perfectly in tune. 
You were psychedelic oceans spinning whirlpools of pain. You were every color on the wheel inside one stretching brain. You were sensual like starlight and erotic like an eel. And you slithered like a drop of oil and spoke like melting steel. You were warm like sex and cold like glass and made of lucid dreams. As wise as fetus in the womb, as smart as laser beams. You were muscle, blood, and ether. You were Plato's forms to me. The zodiac incarnate you were always going to be. You were wicked, you were holy, you could never be defiled, and the universe was spinning on your perfect, smirking smile. You are always like this heartbleed. You are ever like the scars. You are all the time and endless. You are living in the stars. You are crimson nights of longing, the metallic spark of day. There will never be another, and you'll never go away. we all flipped out and wept you know that's what happens Crazy. thank you dear you really captured you didn't you haven't heard that have you no, no. no. Yeah. wow <laughs> and i love boy. surprise it's in the book yeah now you're crying yes. <laughs> no, carry no. on now that that piece that piece by nicole is in my last book let it bleed how to write a rock and memoir because i used a lot of my students writing in it which i'm really proud of so those of you who don't have it, please go out and get that. It's a great book. Amazon. Wonderful. A lot of the girls in this room, of course, have pieces in there because these are my girls. These are my L.A. dolls. Yes. Okay. And I, I just want to add something about class here. Um, I cannot believe the uh, the caliber of writing that Pamela yes. elicits from all of us, yes. given that this is not a critique-based class we we have discussion but we don't have criticism it's not about grammar it's not about syntax it's not about um making every piece you know publication perfect um the level to which i feel um honor bound to do my best work in this class is insane just because everybody is so fucking good and yes. for that to happen yeah. in a class where we're not getting criticized or critiqued or picked apart we just discuss and we listen You're free to write what you want absolutely having fear and yeah. it is it is okay. drawn out of me i believe some of the best writing of my life absolutely. and it's so rare okay. for a writing class that seems like it would be so loosey-goosey to actually uh bring the caliber of work every single woman in this room and many that are not in this room have written pieces that stay with me that have made me mm -hmm. sob that have made me laugh mm -hmm. that have have just lingered with me um and i i mean i want to say i can't believe that that happens in a class that is so loving and inclusive but i actually can because if you've read anything that pamela's written she's so <laughs> good her writing is so evocative so emotional and so um the pathos of her work is just incredible, and I think that she attracts that type of person to her. Yes. yes. That's, so that, that's thank, you, yeah, that's, thank you, lady. Thank you, lady. Like-minded kindred yes, dolls. Isn't absolutely. It? Yes. <laughs> because, because well, it's well, out. Well said. Well said. Well said. Yes. It's not just here; it's everywhere you teach. Yes, I yeah. Te yeah, I teach yeah. all over, and the same thing happens. It's just oh. although you guys, I, you know, my girls are jealous in all the other cities because I, <laughs> you come every week, you know, yes. when I'm in town. Can and I just piggyback? on what she said about the no criticism sure because that's the best part of it for me and i think that's why people do share what what we share with you it's like and 
the only time you ever said anything to me, and I forgot what, a long time ago, because I was maybe talking outside of, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you took me aside. <laughs> and yeah. as a teacher of many years, <laughs> I appreciated that, because that's mm-hmm. the thing the kids that I taught needed to have, rather mm-hmm. than people just going, rah, 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 Well, and rah. Pamela, she gets to know us. She knows what we're comfortable with. And so she'll sometimes challenge us, like, I want you to write a specific thing, or I want you to not write about a specific or thing. Like she, she, she figures out the ruts that we get in, oh, yeah. and she yeah. will challenge us specifically to write but something different. Personal. But it's very constructive, yeah. you know. She's like George Martin. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 Sir George Martin, yes. It's Sir George Sir Martin George she's talking Martin. about. Okay, Sarah. All right, um, do you want to hear? You have to come up here, honey. She has to hold her computer up, but she can do it. You know why? She's 25. Oh, nobody knows that. Everybody knows it now. Wait, are you 25 yet? <laughs> but she's an ancient alien. 26. Yeah. She's turning 26 very soon. Wow. Or okay. am I? Oh, Sarah, okay. do, yeah. introduce yourself. I, I have a quick question, though. Okay. Does, does everyone want to hear about the huge impact on my life or Ozzy Osbourne love letter? Because mm. I can't decide. You know me. Mm. I can really. You going to do Ozzy. That was one of the I know. The Ozzy? That's the Ozzy one? I really do. I know. She wants to do Ozzy. I really love how she kisses my ass in this story, though. But that's okay. I mean, I can do it both. Ozzy is in this one. Yeah, you do that Read about Ozzy. Ozzy. Yeah, read about Ozzy. Yeah. But Paula's pointing at the dramatic one. Oh. Pick a hand. Pick a I Whatever think it's you want to do. Ozzy's in this one, so I think. Yeah, so you know what? Yeah, and it's it's two people. It's Pamela. It's Ozzy. It's oh, it's more than that. Okay, so uh, my name is Sarah Stardust. Uh, I hail from the Inland Empire. Um, I have been coming to Pamela's class for six years now. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing, Sarah. I love it. She was nineteen when she. Oh, my God. She came on my rock tour. I do these rock and roll tours of Hollywood. She came on my rock tour. And didn't I say something to you right away? Wow, you, you remind me of me back then, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. I got that, it. yes. And I, I made <laughs> I love. I, I hand sewed a little purse for you that I think I you know, still have. I and, still have it, of yeah, course. And so, um, it took a lot for us to get here. Yeah, right here. I am. Oh, and that's one of my titles. Um, among all the things that I can do, like author, um, I write my own magazine, I'm an artist. Yes. Uh, jewelry. <laughs> Twisted by Stardust is an all jewelry. copper jewelry. Um, yes. A uh, company I do ch- uh, chainmail, copper lingerie. I mean, I do copper all. Copper and found objects. She does this like very primal, beautiful, Bones. rustic, but also it's like it's like rustic forms with organic shapes. And what yeah. else? Your saga. That's oh, Hollywood. Hollywood oh, yeah, is she's uh, writing a saga. Yep. saga. It's a post-apocalyptic world from now where <laughs> rock and roll culture is the only culture that survived and there's magic and there's, you know, um, the gender fluidity. It's insane. Aliens, and, time travel, <laughs> like immortality. That's that just amazing. that story. And, I mean. and, and she's a quarter of a century old. Anyway, okay, Sarah, read your piece. And she oh. does it in 12 minutes. Sometimes. I know. Some of those she words. does it in 12 minutes. Yeah. And Pamela yeah. Disciple, that's, that's also on my uh, business card, is Pamela Disciple. Yeah. Because, Groupies. yes. yes. <laughs> That'll be on my okay. gravestone. <laughs> Pamela Disciple. <laughs> okay, Sarah. All right, this is uh, my most recent assignment. Uh, he or she made a huge impact on my life. <clears throat> 
I was not social in my youth, and this is probably going to sound like a melodramatic story of self-discovery wrapped in a tortilla of emotions, but it's all true. For a very long time, almost since the beginning of my life, I have felt so out of place in time and space, completely not belonging in any way among the places and people I was with. I had no faith in myself or anyone, men or women, boys or girls. I was just floating on and on and on, and this continued on all through schooling. My pivotal years of development were spent working for the commune-like confinement of my mother's household, trying to figure out if I wanted or liked sex, and if I had the story to write that would make me rich and famous. That's all I ever wanted. <laughs> School and home felt like prison with my younger brother as, uh, wow, this was aggressive, as the abusive snitch to our mother warden. <laughs> I love you, mom, and I was just waiting for my sentence to end. The emotionally expendable inmate, hey, I was a little stoned, and I was writing really yeah. seriously. I'm always stoned. <laughs> she is always stoned. She's yeah. Amazing. That's where, I, in fact, I get my gummies from you, don't I, dear? Yes. Okay. I'm Dr. Feelgood. <laughs> Thank you. Quote unquote. <laughs> legal. It's legal. Hey, it's legal. Really? This is California 2020. <laughs> snap, snap. Yeah. <laughs> or 2020. Honey. Okay, go back to your story now. <clears throat> okay. Uh, <laughs> Home was a prison. I was just waiting to get out. I never had a group of gal pals or a strong, supportive family of ladies in any way, ever. I gravitated to the nerdiest little boys on the playground and avoided the judgmental drama of the other little girls. I couldn't trust women, couldn't trust men. <laughs> the older ones were traitorous and the younger ones were dumb. <laughs> Who <Still>. was... <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Who was I? Where did I belong? What did my life and existence matter? Why was I 11 years old and wondering these things? I wrote tremendous uh, tales of love, purpose, and, and uh, unity, and family, and yet I felt I had none of those things. What did I know of friendship, of the things I wrote? Everything that has come together has been a pathway leading me to where I am now. This is where it gets a little bizarre. I've seen my life... <laughs> In my head is a huge black abyss of the unknown. And you have to cross that cavern with floating stepstones. Oh my God. Made of the events <laughs> <laughs> and doings of your life. Whoa. <laughs> hey, I get that a lot. <laughs> the friends you meet, the enemies you defeat, the journeys you complete. They all come together to form the pathway over the great abyss. And the key to that pathway was a man. A man who made me reconsider giving up. This is where he comes in. Ozzy! <laughs> Love of my life made me feel like someone got it. Capital IT. Like someone heard me, or maybe the universe did, or maybe it was me who was getting it. Whatever it fucking is. <laughs> I heard his voice, oh, and it spoke to me in ways one doesn't hear. I felt like I could care about something. He was the beginning to my real life as I know it. Ozzy made me feel like I wasn't suffering alone, as silly as it sounds. Through him, I lived long enough to find her, Miss fucking Pamela. Yes. <laughs> Love of my life in the woman sense. Um, <laughs> as I say many times, she brought me home. Gods forgive me and mother forgive me for saying it, but I often find myself wishing that I really was her daughter or, or wife. I could swing either way. <laughs> I could go either way. We, we can do both at the same time. It's all cool to me. Sorry, I, I read a lot of Freud when I was young. Uh, uh, it's a lot. Um, for the first time, I was able to be among women and not feel like a total alien. Talking about class now. Yes. 
those yeah. those I was related to, my blood relatives, were in the rooms next door, yet I always felt eons away from them, like I still am. But being eons away from them brought me to where I was always supposed to be. My whole point is that all of you have impacted my life. Yes! yes. You are my people. This is my family. And you changed my life. I searched my entire youth, or if you prefer childhood, <laughs> to find this wavelength. Like trying to tune the radio to that clear channel with the one song coming through that you really want to hear. And yes. then when you yes. find it, all the oh, bad I things disappear and you finally feel here. Yes! yes. yes. She did do that in 12 minutes. She did it in 12 minutes, yeah. She has a time turner that she got from Hermione Granger that allows her to write three times the volume <laughs> that any of, the, any of us can write in 12 minutes. I know, it's really incredible. She has an entire chapter when we have maybe a parent. Right. She types <laughs> really fast. Yeah. Well, she's got yep. Yep, yep. rapid fire brain. She's a very young girl. Yeah, that too. It's incredible. Oh, she also lives in another dimension. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she does live in Hollywood. Not only do I come from another dimension, I live in another dimension. You do live in and Hollywood. And you feel like an alien here because we're all aliens and exactly. we Exactly. Yeah. It's normal. Yes. 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 My thoughts exactly. Okay, we have found the mothership yeah. and Pamela is our leader. Take me to your leader. Oh, she's right over there. <laughs> Take me to your leader. Like, like six feet. Okay, I love Michelle. you, Pamela. But you know what? It's kind of I like we are all teenagers again, even if I'm approaching 70. You know? It's like I get to be with You're people who are 40. What? Yes, I'll be six awesome. different ages. I'm going to be 67 in July. Oh, God. That's You're what we're seven. Oh, oh, my God. And that oh my goes goodness. back to that thing where the people who come into Pamela's orbit and who stay in class, it's like... It doesn't Pamela matter doesn't, what age you are. It doesn't, like, kick people out or, like, tell people, like, oh, only you can be here or whatever. It's, like, only the people who are meant to be here stick. Yeah. And yeah, that's why some so of us true. have been coming And we are timeless, is and what I'm trying to say. Yeah. 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 Anyway, yes, yeah. Yeah. all ages. Yes. 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 I have been from 18, which is the, the age I allow, from 18 to almost 90. Some of my yeah, you know. and and there's no difference because we're all one creature. We are all the yeah. same. Yeah. yeah, in many ways. Anyway. Okay, Michelle. Hello. Hello. Michelle. <laughs> Tell us who you are, dear. Uh, I'm Michelle, and I online have chosen to go by Michelle Miles Gardner, which sounds very obnoxious. I, <laughs> I but when you Google things, you only find me if it's Michelle Miles Gardner. So that is what I go by. Uh-huh. And, I, and you wrote your first book recently? I, um, and you're writing yeah, your second and one? I published my book last year in 2019, and Pamela was in this group, was a huge inspiration, a huge, huge motivator yes, to, to uh, <laughs> get my work out and done and keep writing, and I appreciate that so mm-hmm. much. Um, and I think I was thinking, whenever Let It Bleed came out, and I went to your book signing. Right after that, I, I started your class. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah. what year was that? That was like, yeah, no, to, yeah. It had to be 2017. Yeah, it was 2017, yeah. 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 Okay, yeah. so wow. three years. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, my God. Awesome. Then, Linda, I think we've been coming longer. We're aging. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Yeah, you started coming to... while I was in Alaska, right? Yes. 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 That yes. was so 2015. So that was five years ago. Five years, years ago. Yeah. Five well, years. She said yeah. that. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Um, so this piece, I, yes, I did publish a book in 2019. I, it's called Craving Normal. It's a story collection, nonfiction, and this is actually one of the stories. Um, it's called Peppers for Breakfast. 1985. I was broke. I drove an old Audi Fox that often broke down, leaving me stranded on the 101 or 405 freeways. It didn't have reverse, so I needed to get out and push it out of parking spaces, even if I was in high heels and a mini skirt. <laughs> Very short tonight. Very wow. short. <laughs> I still wear mini skirts. <laughs> Great legs. Yes, but Oh, I want to take that fitness theory. class. Thing. Okay, sorry, no interruptions. That's a rule. Okay. Oh, it's too late. But, but a girl's still got a party. And what's life without dancing? So if it meant driving my unreliable, rickety heap of metal all by myself late at night from the San Fernando Valley through the frightening, derelict, and empty streets of downtown Los Angeles, I would. <laughs> That's where the After Hours nightclub called Power Tools was. <clears throat> it was the happening scene, an oasis of hitness inside the once elegant, now dilapidated, 20s-era Park Plaza Hotel. <clears throat> After leaving the decay outside, I, parked, I walked through the hotel's entrance, climbed up the ornate carpeted stairway under a massive chandelier, and made my way through gothic arched doorways decorated with intricate swirls of black wrought iron toward the ballroom. The faint pulsating sound of music grew <clears throat> as I neared power tools. The elegant past slid away when I entered the dark ballroom, highlighted by neon graffiti and colored light splashing on the walls. Cigarette girls in tutus and bustiers walked through the gyrating crowd. Go-go dancers in cages, were grooving as the room pulsed with music, new wave, punk, funk, and hip-hop, whatever made us move. People with serious expressions danced away their fears and stress under a haze of cigarette smoke while influenced by intoxicants. After hours of releasing tension on the dance floor, I left the pulsing music. Standing at the top of the steep hotel stairs, I opened my purse to get my keys. Two amped Guys, who looked to be my age, scrambled my way. One with long brown hair was practically bouncing toward me. <laughs> hey, where are you headed? Oh, crap. What do they want? Uh, to the valley. Oh, man, would you give us a ride? His friend nodded like a puppy dog and put his hands together in prayer. Please. I blew out a breath of exasperation. Yeah, sure. Did I just say that? <laughs> As I was driving toward the valley, the two scrappy dudes informed me that they live nowhere near the valley. They live just off Fairfax in L.A. Hey, let's get breakfast, the long one said, bouncing in a seat beside me from, from my back seat. The other one shouted, Canters! Yes, Canters. <laughs> what? No, I'm tired. The next thing I know, I'm at Cantor's Deli, sitting in, a, sitting in a booth across from the pair of spazzes, and they shoveled eggs and hash browns into their agitated faces. I watched these street kids and wondered how I got talked into driving so far away from my Reseda apartment and mentally berated myself for being easy to manipulate. With annoyance, I tore my teeth into my cream cheese slathered everything bagel, which is all I could 
afford. Once their plates were clean, the two in intense and hyper dudes popped up from Cantor's Deli booth, from our Cantor's Deli booth. Thanks for the food. They hurled <gasps> themselves over the booth and vaulted <gasps> over chairs out the front entrance onto Fairfax. Oh, what oh, the hell? No! Oh, no. no. I am broke! I yelled, causing strangers who could afford their meals to look my way. <laughs> I scraped together the cash to pay for my bagel and the scruffy thieves' meals. Okay, cut to two, four, 2014. I'm curled up on my couch with a musician's autobiography. I flipped through the photographs. Wow, there's a picture of the musician with his go-go girlfriend at Power Tools. The photos dated 1985. That's when I began going to Power Tools. I flipped through the pages of those years, 1985 to 1986, reading about the musician's heroin addiction. It was so bad he took his girlfriend's sister's bike to pawn for drugs. He also took his friend's toaster oven to buy dope. He didn't have a car. He was sleeping on friends' couches and squatted in empty buildings. Then I began reading from the beginning. On page 82, the musician wrote that he and his bandmates had excuse me, perfected, I'm still choked up, <laughs> something they called dining and dashing. Oh, no. <laughs> where, where they'd eat and run without paying at places like Cantor's. Uh, no. Usually Cantor's. No. That is so rude. Say what? Wow. I, I reread that last paragraph, trying to mentally digest what I just read. Holy crap, I said as I, as the book I'm holding, Anthony Kiedis' autobiography, Scar Tissue, yep. oh. Yeah. Oh. They did it all the time. slipped from it. my fingers and landed with a thunk in my lap. It was them. It had to be them. It had to be Anthony Kiedis and Flea of Red Hot Chili Peppers, the hyper dudes who left me with Cantor's breakfast tab after asking me for a ride. We all hung out at power tools during the same time. They didn't have a car. They had dined and dashed at Cantor's often. It had to have been them. Being new to the LA music scene at the time, I wouldn't have known who they were. Later, uh, I read that they got their first big recognition from LA Weekly for Band of the Year in 1986. Got their big first big money in 1989. But until then, 1985, 1987, they were broke. In Kiedis' book, he admitted to being a hustler, a con artist, and a scammer. And I do believe he hustled, conned, and scanned me for a ride and a meal. After, <clears throat> decades after the cancer, cancers, cancers, cancers incident, while owning a home-based pro audio business, Flea became one of our clients. <laughs> Sometimes he'd call our house. If only I'd read Anthony's book sooner, I could have answered the phone and said, Yeah, Flea, I think you owe me breakfast. Anthony Kiedis, motherfucker, listen to me. Number one, big fan. I love your work. Number two, you owe this woman a Cantor's meal. 
I'm not even, I am not even <laughs> shitting you right now. You know where to find her. It's through Pamela. You owe her a meal. Also, I just want a show of hands of who can, who, who has a story that begins next thing I knew I ended up at Cantor's Deli because I think it's literally everyone in this entire room. I had a weed lollipop. Next thing I know, I was You know, I started going there in 1966. Lisa Cantor cuts my hair. Thank you, Lisa. You do a beautiful job. Thank you. Yes. All right. Wait, that was <laughs> fantastic. To the counters? Michelle. Yeah, the, the Wi-Fi. I remember when you first saw that. Wow. Great job. Brandy, who is our most mm-hmm. amusing writer, let's, let's face it. She's an alien from outer Yes. She guys. gets a lot written, too. She amazingly grew up in a pawn shop <laughs> and writes about it a lot. Mm-hmm. We're always trying to get her to write a book about it, and she will one day. Or, or a, well, I'm unemployed, so I yeah. can now. Yeah. Oh, what? I'm unemployed. Are you really I'm unemployed. How did that happen? She's what a teacher, though. I'm a teacher, and they ended the school. Aren't you in magazine, Brandy? What? She grew up in an Indiana town. I did. Good-looking mama. Never was around. I did. An old dad. An old dad. Twenty-one years. Yeah. Yeah. Like your mama's. Okay, Brandy. Tell us about you. Kathy's hot. She is. Uh, closer yeah. to the mic a little. My mom is hot. Um, <laughs> her name is Kathy. Her name is Kathy. My name is Brandy. I gotta say my last name because I teach kindergarten. And things I say are inappropriate. Such as I have a dog named Bucket. And why I named him Bucket? So I can say, come Bucket. Come Bucket. And he's a 65% wiener. I measured him and made a ratio, so that's real math. Brandy's (laughs) Brandy's mind and life and persona are also 65% wieners. I mean, I love wieners. (laughs) Okay, Brandy. So, anyway. What what are you reading today? I'm reading a rant about something that pisses you off. Mm. Okay, this was the prompt. Something that pisses you off. Something that pisses you off. It was 1993, and I was 16 and working at my parents' pawn shop. It's called Cash Indiana. I was staring out of the window at the Walmart next door, toiling away. The newness of, the, of it, a plethora of shopping delights in this 1990s strip mall. It was a desert oasis of landfill junk to fill the void in people's lives, and I was stuck, in, stuck working here until 6 p.m. The pawn shop was dead, and I was bored. I had just sent the new guy to get some lunch. I was enjoying the reverie because he smelled like cool water cologne and thought he was some kind of R. Kelly pimp in his, R- in his khaki pants and purple shirt, which were probably from Walmart. He kept calling me baby girl and telling me he could pe- teach me a few things. <laughs> Maybe he meant knitting or how to wear 809 gallons of man perfume. Also, he couldn't even figure out the computer system, and he was like double my age. So I was doing all the pawn loans anyway, so I sent him to get me a gyro and some pink lemonade. I gazed at the clock. 57 minutes had passed. Where was this dude? More importantly, where was my gyro? He was probably out listening to Big Pun and hitting on anything with a hair weave and a hole. All the while, dousing himself in cool water cologne like Santa eats cookies. In walks this dude carrying a vacuum. I think, oh, I hate to pawn vacuums. Who knows what's lurking inside there? They are the unholy vessel for all of the person's carpet paraphernalia. This dude was straight tweaking, too. He was shaking like a cracked-out leaf. He says, 
Where's Jan? Jan is the manager of the store who told me once that her husband liked to fuck her from behind <laughs> while she was just trying to win at Super Mario World 2. Oh, wow. She was in her 50s somewhere and chain-smoked vagina slimes, sucked down <laughs> cappuccino. Vagina slimes? Like yes, Virginia slimes. But no, they're really vagina slimes. Vagina slimes. Anyway, she also sucked down cappuccino like it was going out of style and was shadier than a $3 bill. I replied to the man, sorry she's not here, can I help you? Vacuum man was like, I don't know you. So I was all like, I'm Brandy, so you do now. <laughs> he seemed to think this one over. and was like, I need to pawn this mug, gesturing toward the vacuum. I thought, a vacuum is not a mug. <laughs> I looked the vacuum over. It was covered in dirt like a cirrhosis haze and smelled like rancid Dorito feet. The word Hoover echoed in the dirt along the front of the vacuum like a forgotten whisper to nowhere. Sorry, I said, we can't take vacuums. <laughs> he then asked for Jan again, saying she would hook him up. And before I knew it, he was plugging the thing in to show me just how good his vacuum could suck. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I just want my euro, I thought. <laughs> And just as he was firing up the vacuum, about a pound of fur and hair and gray matter exploded all over the counter, the floor, and my feet. Um, we can't take that, I said. The dude then turns the vacuum over and is like, oh, there's just a bit of carpet stuck, it, stuck in this here mug. I'll clean it. I just looked at him. He then grabbed a screwdriver and starts to peck away at the vacuum like a mother bird feeding a vulture. This causes the whole vacuum to fall apart. And what pops out? Uh. A dead mouse. Oh. And its whole family locked in a silent oh. scream. Well, there goes my hero desire, I think. <laughs> I just look at the dude. He then is like, well, you're a bitch anyway. You broke it. Uh. This here vacuum worked perfectly at my house. <laughs> I can't take it anymore, and I think... Yeah, I use my Jedi mind powers to beam a dead mouse family in there just so you can't have $15 on pawn. Those are for sure my life goals. I then look at him again. He glares at me like I am a Pop-Tart and he wants to burn me up in the toaster. I feel bad. So I ask, is there anything else you have to pawn? He says nothing, and I think, well, I guess that's over. But then he grabs the candy bowl off the counter and dumps it on the dead mouse family. <laughs> and I think, well, I guess a dead mouse family would want a candy burial. <laughs> he then rips the cord out of the wall and pulls his vacuum remains out the door, screaming, I'll be back when Jan is here. <laughs> I stand there and look at the dead mouse family covered in cheap dollar store candy that Jan insists on buying. And I think, damn it, I sure do hate when some customer comes in with a dead mouse vacuum. And all I want to do is eat a gyro, and the new guy probably isn't ever coming back anyway. And with that, I get the broom and go give those mice a dumpster funeral out back. <laughs> the best.
metaphors and similes. No, I was just going to say that the metaphors and similes that come out of this woman, you will never hear again and never hear again. He lives in her brain. everyone down in class in LA. I get very excited. It totally works. Now we're going to have Bambi Conway. She's going to read one of my, well, my favorite one pieces. One of ours. <laughs> yes. 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 We, we all love it. This is, yeah. I, not that there is a competition, yeah. but I would say this no is problem. one of the top five most legendary pieces ever written in Pamela's Just saying. class. <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh, tell us, okay, tell us about you, Bambi. I'm, tell us. Bambi. I grew up in LA. I was like a rock and roll kid. I, you know, was a teenager in the 70s. I got into punk rock. And then later in the 80s, I got into a band. I played bass in the Pandora's. It's about time Pandora's version. Uh, later, I was in a glam rock band called Feline, and I played with Mad Monster Party and the Solipsistics. And yeah, I was really into that whole hair metal scene in 1985. <laughs> And the story that I'm going to be reading is just all about that time. <laughs> it's evocative. It's a microcosm. It's a time microcosm. Okay. Okay. In 1985, I was in an all-girl glam rock band called Feline. We shared a rehearsal space with Guns N' Roses and often played gigs with them. They weren't rock stars yet, but I knew they were going to be. I used to tease Axel and call him a rock god. He shyly told me that embarrassed him. He had two sides to his personality. He was either a crazy wild man or a perfect gentleman. I had the hots for Axel, and I was a bit in awe of him. The way his body moved on stage, his teased strawberry blonde hair, he just oozed sex appeal. <laughs> Debbie Diamond, the singer for Feline, was beautiful, talented, and brave. She was a tall blonde of Danish descent, and she dressed in glam rock perfection from her Hanoi Rocks hair to the leopard skin boots that went up her thighs. I was her best friend, sidekick, and rhythm guitarist. Our job was to go out to every club and party we heard of to publicize our band. Almost every night after rehearsal, we'd go out, make friends with other bands, try to get gigs opening for them, and pass out flyers for Feline. One night at the Zero One Gallery, Debbie gave David Lee Roth a flyer, and he dropped it, so she kicked him in the butt. Yes! <laughs> yes, Debbie. I admired that she had the balls to do that. I always felt like I was too shy, shrinking in the background, and it was great to have a friend that had the courage to go up to anyone and say anything. I probably would have never gotten laid if she hadn't been a matchmaker at heart, always trying to set me up with whatever guy I happened to have a crush on. She would just go right up to my crush and say something which would embarrass and delight me at the same time. <laughs> Todd Crew, the bass player from Jet Boy, was Debbie's boyfriend. She first met Todd in the parking lot of an Orange County nightclub. Normally the bold one, Debbie was suddenly uncharacteristically shy. Awestruck by his gorgeousness, his long brown unruly hair and tiger tattoo running down one of his muscular arms, <laughs> We both stood there, staring at him while trying to remain cool. 
I had to threaten her to go talk to him, telling her that I would go for him if she didn't. <laughs> Izzy from Guns N' Roses overheard us and introduced her to him. Debbie and Todd had a sweet but tempestuous romance. He was your typical rock and roll bad boy, always a little too wasted and out of control. I remember Todd flying back from San Francisco and presenting Debbie with a red rooster feather boa after one of their fights. She was furious that he had seen an ex-girlfriend up there. Todd was trying to convince Debbie that he didn't cheat on her. I only put it in for a second, he claimed. Uh, no! Bands from, bands from out of town often stayed at the Franklin Suites in Hollywood. It was the kind of hotel that didn't care if you had an all-night party. <laughs> After rehearsal one evening, we were hanging out at one of those parties in Kix's hotel suite, along with all of Guns N' Roses and Jet Boy. During the party, the bass player from Feline and I were discussing how sexy Axel was. We were talking about the times we were practically drooling over the sight of him. <laughs> when he wore those leather chaps with the bondage-style leather thing covering his crotch, his butt cheeks bare. Debbie knew I lusted for Axel, and she also knew that I would never have the guts to tell him. I had no idea that she was just going to walk right over him and announce, Hey, Axel, Bambi's parents are out of town. I think I was in shock when Axel smiled at me and said, Can I come over? <laughs> Todd, Debbie, Axel, and I got into my brown Dotson B210 and drove to my house. As we passed the Rainbow Bar and Grill, Axel asked me to stop the car, and he jumped out and punched some guy in the face. <laughs> And then quickly jumped back in the car. As I sped away, I could see a dazed hair metal dude in my rearview mirror yelling and shaking his fist in the air. Next, Axel calmly asked me to stop at Warehouse Records in Westwood, which was near my house, so he could get a job application. My hot pink and purple bedroom had a lot of interesting clutter. On my desk, I had a glow-in-the-dark skull from Disneyland, a glow-in-the-dark rosary from a thrift store, jewelry, knickknacks, crystals, candles. Axel spent some time looking through my stuff before sitting down on my purple fake fur bedspread. He picked up an arrowhead and wrapped a suede string around it, creating a necklace, and he gave it to me. It felt like such a special gift, even though he had given me my own arrowhead. <laughs> We started kissing and got under the covers, still wearing all of our clothes. We're facing each other, and I was just gazing into his eyes, just wanting him so badly, feeling his arms around me. His skin felt so soft and warm. Still too shy to make the first move, I was elated when he asked, Do you mind if I take my pants off? That was Axel, always the gentleman. I awkwardly replied, No, I don't mind. Do you mind if I take mine off? Once it was established that we were hooking up, we practically ripped our clothes off and it had amazingly steamy every which way. You can do it sex until we fall asleep all tangled up. Yes, girl. Uh -huh. The next day, Axel was parading around the house in nothing but a pair of white briefs. He raided the refrigerator and microwaved a Trader Joe's cheese enchilada. And afterwards, he joined us in the living room and sat down on the goldenrod yellow velveteen sofa and said, Hey, you guys, I have to fart. And cut a loud one. 
wow. Debbie freaked out. <laughs> oh my God. Debbie spoke loudly, emphasizing each word. I can't believe you just farted in front of me. No guy has ever farted in front of me in my life. Axel said, oh yeah? Well, here's another one. <laughs> beautiful dolls in LA I wanted to share them with you and you know we do have a couple spaces open if any LA dolls want to join us right join and us. always the right people come through mm. the door Allison yes. always wow. the right people yes. Come yes. show up okay so please join us if you felt you know enthralled by this evening what <laughs> entertainment the entertainment value is very high <laughs> One of our most fun times was at, uh, what was it called? Desert Trip. Ocella. Ocella. Oh, yeah. When we yes. saw Pamela's picture there in the, the picture photo gallery. Oh, yeah. 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 It was, it was our... One of our first big field trips where we all kind of met. Yes, we all hang out. In case you haven't figured this out, it's not just a riding group. This is a family. This is summer camp that goes on forever. Slumber parties. You can't get rid of these people if you wanted to. They are like herpes. They keep coming back. It's herpes. Only in a nice, good, sweet way. Promise. Okay. But it's sort of like your GTOs that you carry on throughout. It kind of is like girls together outrageously. Yes, we are girls. We are together. We are out. Uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of like group therapy. It really is. Oh, it is. It is. We make anyway. lifelong friendships. We t we talk about things that we have never felt comfortable talking about outside yeah. the circle. In the circle, so many positive life changes get made. So many creative decisions get made. So many fun things happen uh, in other places, like last weekend at Joshua Tree. You guys are awesome. Writers that have already yes. up my game. And are you? And are you? Yes, they up each other's game, absolutely. Not, not that it's competitive, Everybody. because it isn't. 
No, it's, it's not competitive. But no, it's, it's just inspirational. And yeah. as English teachers, we both think you're the best. I mean, and as Danny's I know, a teacher, I'm always Margaret amazed was a by teacher. that, that people like, think. I'm a teacher, hello. I know, I said I, that. I, I said, said Brandy's a teacher. She said that. I, do. I did. Don't Okay, you know, we, we could go on forever, but I have to say goodnight. It's been a kind of a long podcast, but it was wonderful. Thank you so much for coming tonight, my dog. I love my dog. Thank you, Miss Pamela, for being the instigator, the officiator, the person who brings us all together and has changed all of our lives for the better. Every single person in this room, many people in this room's lives have been changed uh, beyond recognition for the better because of this woman. So thank you. Thank you so much. I love you. I love well, thank you for listening again, dolls, and I will see you next time. Oh, see you next time. Oh, What did you think of that? You know, it's so revealing what people have to say about themselves in 12 minutes. That's what's so magical about the workshops because there's no time to think. Thinking is the devil. You, you get your ego out of the way. You don't have time to think in 12 minutes and the most amazing stuff comes out as you have just heard. So I have room in my workshops all over the country and in London and Toronto. So reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or my website to find more about my amazing writing workshops, and you can have this incredible experience. So thank you so much for listening, and I love you. Listening to Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party, produced by Aaron Alden and Christian Swain. All sound design by Jerry Danielson and Busy Signal Studios. Find Miss Pamela at Pamela DeBar on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Find all the Pantheon podcasts 
at PantheonPodcast.com or wherever you find great podcasts. Find us on Facebook at Facebook.com backslash Pantheon Podcasts. Rock and Roll Archaeology on Instagram and Pantheon Pods on Twitter. <laughs>